Hey, All Souls Church, Pastor Harvey here. Uh, we are in the book of Genesis. If you're visiting our church online, we'd love to see you uh, at, here in Burbank where we gather uh, on Sundays at 10 a.m. Uh, we're in the book of Genesis, chapter 20 today. We're going to be covering chapters 20 and 21. It's, it's a big story, a couple of stories actually. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, we're in the middle of a series about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we're coming to really uh, one of the key points in the life of Abraham. And the, so this key point, this key blessing is surrounded by these other stories of Abraham's confusion and mess ups and all of that. So uh, we're going to get into this in just a moment. But just so you know, as we go through this, there's four different stories that are kind of all connected around one thing. So uh, let's go ahead and read the scripture. We're going to just read a portion of the scripture uh, that we're going to cover for today. We're going to read uh, chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> as we look into this text, as we look into this story, these connected stories, Lord, give us ears to hear and eyes to see uh, how you work in our lives as we look at Abraham's life and how you've worked in history as we look at Abraham's life and, and reveal yourself, glorify yourself, your faithfulness, your truth to us, Lord, as we look at this. We want to know you deeper and more and we want to understand your ways and your works. So give us encouragement and hope today as we study this passage. Open our eyes to see, give us ears to hear. And we pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, um, our faith has inconsistencies in it. Everybody kind of knows that, you know. So to have faith, uh, according to Scripture, is not necessarily that you're always perfectly in trust of God and, and perfectly, uh, you know, walking in obedience to his commands. But to have faith as a sinner, as somebody who is broken, is to know, have the faith in God and know that you're, you're sometimes going to be unfaithful. Uh, so our faith is in him, not in ourselves. And this is really what the whole of the Bible is teaching us as far as our response to God. What God wants from us is our faith. Uh, in other words, another way to think about faith is trust. God wants our trust. Uh, our faith, though, has inconsistencies in it, usually in the mundane parts of life, the ordinary parts of life. What I mean is this. Uh, lack of faith is not usually doctrinal. So, uh, for a Christian, uh, most Christians are not struggling with like, I just don't know if I believe in the Trinity. You know, like, or, or they're not like, I just don't know if Jesus really rose from the dead. I mean, I think from time to time we have doubts and we wrestle with that stuff, of course. But 
I really don't think that's our main struggle. Um, you know, we don't struggle with the, the, how the scriptures teach that Jesus is God, the second person of the Trinity. That these are not the, the real struggles of our faith. Our faith actually struggles mostly in the mundane parts of life, the parts of our lives that we want to have control of. And that's what we're going to see a lot in this passage. So our lack of faith is usually with, uh, you know, it could be our business uh, or, or the business of our life. Uh, things don't look good. We've got to take everything into our hands. We've got to control the whole thing. And so instead of trusting God with the business of our life or our work or our business, uh, we try to grasp on and figure it all out. Uh, or maybe uh, it's with your bills. You know, you, the bills are piling up and you look at the situation and you get overwhelmed and you begin to lose faith and you start to put the trust in yourself and how you're going to figure it out rather than trusting that God takes care of you. It might be relationships. I know for a lot of t- times where we, in our relationships, we want to we control things and take things into our own hands rather than trusting God. One way this might play out is, you know, if you're single and you're tempted to just, you're, you're tired of being alone, and so you're tempted to just settle for somebody that maybe doesn't believe in God or maybe has a spurious faith or just an, uh, a faith around the edges but doesn't, isn't really committed to God the way that you are. And so you think, well, God's not doing it. I need to, you know, I, instead of trusting Him, I need to do it my own way. And we often go sideways with that. <clears throat> it could be around legitimate needs. We have a legitimate need and we go and meet that legitimate need in an illegitimate way uh, because we're struggling with faith. It could be uh, greed and generosity that we hold on to everything because we really don't trust that God is going to provide for us. And we can't be generous with our money and with our time and with our things because we feel like we have to hold on to them because God is not going to take care of us. So we don't really trust that God, who is generous to us, will continue to be generous to us if we're generous to others. It could be in your personal sins that, that you feel like, no, I, you know, I have to just give in. Uh, I, I've talked to so many guys that are addicted to porn that just say, like, look, I can't stop. There's nothing I can do. I, I need this to be happy. Um, it could be about your future. It could be about something worldwide, like a war or an economic collapse or seasons of leanness in society where everybody gets uh, you know, tied up and worried. It could be uh, telling a lie because you don't really trust that telling the truth that God would be with you or a half-truth. And really all of this comes down to this concept that, that when we don't have faith, what we do is we fight evil with evil. We fight evil with evil. This is really... So these are the places where we really struggle with our faith. And here's the good news. God is faithful to us whether we are faithful to Him or not. That when you believe in God, it is not God God is not faithful to you if you are perfectly faithful to him. In fact, you can even stumble and fall and make massive mistakes as we will see that Abraham does here, uh, and that God will still remain committed to you because you've put your trust in him. He's going to provide for you, he's going to guide you, he's going to protect you. So here's my main point today. Cheer up. God is faithful even when we are faithless. Cheer up. God is faithful even when we are faithless. A lot of our misery comes from 
uh, you know, am I making the right decisions? Am I doing the right things? Uh, have I accomplished? Oh man, I failed. And what we need to understand is that God knows that we are going to struggle. He knows that we're dust. He knows that we're going to fail. And he knew that when he called us to himself. He knew that when he chose us before the foundations of the world. It's not a surprise to him that you're broken. Okay? So cheer up. God is faithful even when we are faithless. Now, we're going to start by looking at <clears throat> Abraham's faithlessness in a particular situation. Now, the context is this that God has done so much for Abraham. Promises, protection, deliverance, uh, you know, blessing. Uh, but, you know, up until this point, it had been 25 years since God originally gave him a promise that he was going to have the child of the promise. And the idea was that Abraham was the called promise one and that from him will come Isaac and from Isaac will come Jacob and from Jacob will come Joseph and from Joseph will come the 12 tribes of Israel. And from the 12 tribes of Israel, you get the nation of Israel. And from the nation of Israel, you get Jesus the Christ. So the promise is, is that you're going to have a son that will ultimately lead to God's son coming into the world. So this is the promise that Abraham has. Um, and yet he continually takes things into his own hands and acts in faithless ways. Let's go ahead and take a look at this story. Um, chapter 20, verse 1. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Now, this has already happened. And there was a, a earlier in the story, Abraham did this exact same thing. He was afraid for his life. And so instead of protecting his wife and honoring her, he says to her, you need to tell everybody that you are my sister so that they don't come after me. And in the previous story and in this story, when people see Sarah and they see her beauty, these kings want to take her as a wife. But also Abimelech would have been motivated by the fact that Abraham had become very powerful with his family and his tribe in this area. And he wanted to establish a connection to Abraham. And so if he takes one of Abraham's sisters as his wife, then now he's connected to Abraham and alliance has been formed. And this is in the ancient world often how marriages would work. Marriages would be about really alliances and, and power and political persuasion and all that kind of stuff. So uh, Abraham was willing to put his wife in the harem of a king for the second time, even after he had already made this mistake before, because he was afraid. And from that fear came faithlessness. He, he, his fear so consumed him that he took off all the fact that God had been caring for him and leading him and controlled the situation in and of his own. So yes, Abimelech, this king, takes Sarah uh, to be part of his harem. Verse 3, this is where even though Abraham is faithless, God is faithful to Abraham. Watch this. Verse 3. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom he has taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her. In other words, they hadn't had sex yet. So he said, Lord, will you kill 
an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother? In the integrity of my heart and in the innocence of my hands I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, and you and all who are yours. Okay, so Abraham is faithless, and Abraham's wife is going to have the child of promise. Well, if Abimelech, uh, you know, takes her as a wife and has sex with her, then the child of the promise thing is all broken off. So God is protecting his plan. But even in the midst of protecting his plan, he is protecting Abraham and bless and, and, and being faithful to Abraham, even though Abraham was not being faithful to God at this moment. He was being shady. And what drove his shadiness, what drove his sin, what drove his lies was his fear. You see, we've got to understand that it is often not just behaviors that are the problem. It's what's beneath the behaviors. And usually it's fear, shame, or guilt that are driving our bad behaviors. In this case, Abraham was not trusting God. He didn't believe that God would take care of him, that God would protect him, that God would stand in the gap for him. He had forgotten the promise that God was going to do this through him. And so basically, uh, there's nothing that could be done to him that would hinder what God was going to do with him. He, he should have thought about it as, I'm invincible because God is with me and God has provided for me every step of the way. But the problem is, Abraham's like you and me. He's flawed. He's broken. He's limited. And in the midst of his fear, he retreats back to control. He retreats back to sin. He retreats back to rebellion like many of us do. And what does God do? God steps in and intervenes and protects him. Protects him, protects Sarah, protects the promise of the gospel. And he does this all by appearing to this great king in a dream and threatening this king that you're going to die if you don't step back from uh, this decision. All right, so verse 8. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all of his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have you sinned against How have I sinned against you that you brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought, There is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. So I want you to see. Abimelech goes, Why did you do this? Why did you deceive me? And Abraham's answer is very interesting. I did it because I, I, I thought, There's no fear of God here. I need to take matters into my own hands. Instead of trusting God, he looked at the situation, evaluated in and of himself in his mind, didn't go to God in prayer, and just acted. And, and here's what he did. He, he, he had an unfaithful faith towards God, but he also was very judgmental towards this city and these people. And so basically what he did is he created a narrative, a scenario in his own mind that justified his sin. 
And he said, I can go ahead and do this deception. I can go ahead and mistreat my wife. I can go ahead and not honor God and his promise to me because I got to protect my neck because I'm afraid and I don't know what they're going to do to me. So the fear drove him to sin. Um, okay, now verse 12. He says, this is an interesting part. Abraham says, besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. So interesting here <laughs> that he married uh, the, uh, somebody who was uh, a sister, but not they didn't have the same mother. That's problematic. Uh, but he came from a pagan nation where maybe these things, uh, this is how they dealt with these things. But I want you to see what he did. He told a half-truth. And oftentimes uh, we can deceive ourselves into thinking, well, I didn't fully lie. It was just a half-truth. But a half-truth is still a lie. If it's not completely truth, it's a lie. So now uh, it's exposed that not only did he dishonor God, dishonor the promise, dishonor his wife, dishonor himself, dishonor Abimelech, but he also did it by lying and telling a half-truth. Why? Because he was afraid. And instead of trusting God in his fear, he acted out in and of himself. And this uh, is something that we all do, isn't it? That we sometimes out of, we can justify it in our minds, we can create a narrative, we can create a scenario that makes it okay for us to do what is wrong, to do what is evil. And even in the midst of that, God is still faithful to Abraham. So look at this. Um, verse 13. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, This is the kindness that you must do to me. At every place in which we come, say of me, He is my brother. So they had already made a deal about this. And Abimelech took the sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah's wife to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. You dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves, so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed the wombs of those of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So now I want you to see this that God remains faithful to Abraham and even gives Abraham a blessing from this king, even though Abraham did not walk in truth or faith. Cheer up. God is faithful even when we are faithless. Now, watch this. <clears throat> in the midst of this, this setup where Abraham has lack of faith, the next thing that happens is one of the most important parts of Genesis uh, that we've yet come upon. Because if you remember in Genesis 3.15, we were told that one day someone would come who would connect us back to God, who would destroy the works of Satan. In Genesis 12, God called out Abraham and said, you will be the one through which I will bring the family that will become the nation that will bring about the Messiah. In Genesis 15, he makes this covenant with Abraham, promising this again. And so, God has been saying, I'm going to give you this child. 
I'm going to give you this child. And if you remember, Abraham and Sarah weren't able to have children. And for 25 years, they waited on God's promises to be fulfilled for 25 years. Now, for us, we just read this in 25 years. Wow. Think about 25 years ago in your life that you had to wait that long for God to fulfill something. You see, part of this whole struggle is, and the reason why we often take matters into our hands and sin against God, is because God's timing is not our timing. And when we feel like God is being slow about His promises, we often jump in and take things into our own hands. But God continues His faithfulness to Abraham. Look at this. The Lord visited Sarah, as He had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as He had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time in which God had spoken him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, that Sarah bore to him, Isaac, which means laughter. Laughter, joy, cheer up. You see, there is laughter and joy because 25 years the promises come to fulfillment. And here it is. God did keep his promise. Even though we can look through the story and see all of Abraham's mistakes. And what you need to see through that is even in the midst of your mistakes and your flaws and your mess ups and your limits and all of this, that God continues to remain faithful to him if you have faith in him. It's not your faithfulness that keeps you near to God. It is God's faithfulness to you that keeps you near to God. Of course, God wants your faithfulness too. But the reality is, it is impossible for a human being to be consistently faithful. There's always going to be inconsistencies in our faithfulness. There's going to be good times and bad times. Uh, sometimes we're going to go up here and sometimes we're going to go down here. And actually, our journey towards uh, in growth is never like this. It's often like this. And over lifetime, we might see some progress, but there's a lot of stumbling and fumbling and falling and struggling. But God has not said, be perfect and, and, and obey all of this, and then you will be saved. He says, trust me, and then you will be saved. Have faith in me, and then you will be saved. And Abraham had put his faith in God that God would give him the promise, but in the midst of the mundane things, he wasn't living consistently to see with that promise. But here, the promise comes to fruition. The child is born. Laughter, joy. Now, there's several reasons for this joy. One, of course, they finally have the child. The promise is being fulfilled. But if God delivers on that, then he's also going to deliver on the nation part. And he's also going to deliver on Abraham's family being a blessing to all nations. And he's also going to deliver on sending Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is going to deliver on everything that God promised to us. He's going to live a perfect life for us. He's going to die for us. He's going to rise for us. And if that's true, then everything that Jesus said about his return at the end of time will also come true. And everything that is sad will become untrue. Everything that is wrong will be finally healed. So the birth of Isaac tells us that the world will be healed one day. The birth of Isaac tells us that Christ will come one day. And so they rejoice with laughter. At verse 4, And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, and God, as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. Why? A miracle has happened. This is a miraculous birth. An old couple has a child. 
You see, all through the Bible, there's all these miraculous births. Uh, of course, this is one of the first miraculous births. But we're going to see all throughout the biblical story, miraculous birth after miraculous birth after miraculous birth. That each time it's a miracle, it's some God intervening. And of course, this is leading us to the place of the miraculous birth when the Son of God will be born of a virgin. God is showing us the way. God is showing us He's coming. So she laughs and everybody is rejoicing. They're rejoicing. The promise is fulfilled. God has been faithful to us. And then they probably look back and look, hey, remember all those times we messed up? We didn't trust God. We did wrong. We were faithless. But God has remained faithful to us. And this is what you can know. In the midst of your journey, you're going to stumble and fall. And some days you're going to have strong faith. And other days you're not going to have strong faith. Some days you're going to have victory. And some other days you're going to sin. Some days you're going to be filled with joy. And other days you're going to be depressed. But at the end, God will deliver on His promises to you. And God will make everything that is sad become untrue. And so they rejoice because this miracle has happened. Verse 7, And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? So there is uh, much joy and rejoicing at this time. The child of laughter will bring about the child that will make the whole world laugh. Laughter is a result of the surprising miracles, the offbeat, the weird. Uh, laughter, usually you know, good comedy, comes with timing, and this comes with God's timing. And what we're supposed to do is rejoice that God is fulfilling His promises here. Because when we study this, we can also know that God will fulfill His promises to us. And He won't fulfill His promises to us because we're faithful. He will fulfill His promises to us because He is faithful. Because our faithfulness is inconsistent. Sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not. But His faithfulness never swerves. Now... The, the story continues here. Um, verse 8, And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day when Isaac was weaned. Well, when a child is weaned from his mother, uh, it, it, basically he's made it through infancy, and it's a time of celebration in the ancient world because a lot of children didn't make it through infancy uh, given the circumstances in which they live, the, the lack of medical uh, you know, technology that we have today, so on and so forth. And so when a child is weaned, it's like, okay, this child is actually going to make it. And so they had a great celebration on that day. But Sarah saw that the son of Hagar, now remember Hagar? Hagar was uh, Ab Abraham's wife's servant that Abraham's wife gave Hagar to Abraham so that they could try and go around and do their own thing, take things into their own hands, and force God to give the son of a promise through not through the way that God said through Sarah, but through Hagar, uh, the, the slave woman in the house. And God did give her a child, but God said, this is not the child of the promise. But God even blessed her and took care of her and even blessed her child. Uh, not because uh, her child was faithful, by the way, and not because she was always faithful, but because God was faithful. So that's Hagar. But Sarah saw the son, that Ishmael, of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. But here's what's interesting. Uh, this idea of laughter can take on two forms. It can be laughter at rejoicing, but there can also be a laughter of mocking. 
And we know from other passages of Scripture, specifically one in the book of Galatians, that this was a laughter of mocking. Ishmael was 16 years old at this point. And he had been the prized one in the house, Abraham's only son, right? He was entitled. He, uh, he basically got everything that he wanted. Um, th so this is a mocking laugh of a 16-year-old, a very spoiled 16-year-old, uh, an entitled person. The je he's, he's jealous of this child because he knows this is the child of the promise. Um, he's entitled thinking, I should be the child of the promise. And so he is all, you, you can already see that he's going to bring sabotage, that he's going to bring conflict. And this is what Sarah can see in his mocking. Okay. Um, and then, of course, you got Hagar, who's going to fight for her son's prom, uh, prominence as well and say, well, he should receive the inheritance with Isaac. And so the conflict is coming, right? Uh, so look at verse 10. So she, that's Sarah, said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For though Isaac shall be, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. So this is, this is what God says. Uh, when you originally read it, you think, man, Sarah is being very selfish here. But Sarah actually understands something. That Isaac is the son of God's promise and Ishmael is not. And that there is going to be a conflict within the household, not only with Hagar, but with Ishmael as well. And that this conflict could sabotage so many things. So when I first read this, I thought, man, Sarah is just being cruel. But then as I studied and learned a little more, uh, I found out that no, actually, Sarah was being faithful to the promise and being faithful to God. Um, John Calvin actually helped me understand this a little more clearly. He says this, It was therefore a malignant expression of scorn by which the forward youth manifested his content for his infant brother. Isaac was, to his father and others, the occasion of holy and lawful laughter, whence also the name was divinely imposed upon him, laughter. Ishmael turns the blessing of God from which such joy flowed into ridicule. Therefore, as an impious mocker, he stands opposed to his brother Isaac. Both, so to speak, are the sons of laughter, but in a very different sense. Isaac brought laughter with him from his mother's womb, since he bore engraved upon him the certain token of God's grace. He therefore so exhilarates his father's house that joy breaks forth in thanksgiving. But Ishmael, with canine and profound, profane laughter, attempts to destroy that holy joy of faith. And there is no doubt that his manifest impiety against God betrayed itself under the ridicule. He had reached an age at which he could not by any means be ignorant of the promised favor, on account of which his father Abraham was transported with so great joy. And yet, profoundly confident in himself, he insults the person of his brother, both God of his brother, both God and his word, as well as the, as the faith of Abraham. Wherefore, it was not without cause that Sarah was so vehemently angry with him that she commanded him to be driven 
into exile. For nothing is more grievous to a holy mind than to see the grace of God exposed to ridicule. And this is the reason why Paul calls his laughter persecution, saying, He who is after the flesh persecuted the, the spiritual seed, Galatians 4.29. Was it with the sword or violence? Nay, but with the scorn of the virtuent tongue, which does not injure the body, but pierces into the very soul. So Ishmael was going to cause problems. Hagar was going to cause problems. And this is all a result of the sin of Abraham and Sarah multiple chapters earlier. And now the consequences are coming to them. The consequences are also going to fall on Ishmael and Hagar as well. So here's what happens. They leave. They go into the wilderness. Uh, they, they basically run out of food and water and they give up. And uh, the 16-year-old son, Ishmael, gets very sick. And so uh, uh, Hagar, you know, leaves him under a bush and she sits opposite him waiting for him to die. And in that scenario, God comes. Verse 17. And God heard the voice of the boy. He was obviously crying out because he knew he was dying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with the water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy and he grew up and lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. And he lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. So I want you to see something here. God is faithful to Hagar, who is a believer, and we've seen her faith and connection to Jesus uh, in earlier passages. But God is also faithful to Ishmael, who is not a believer, who mocked God's people, who, who becomes a son of war later on in his life and causes problems for the people of God and leads to uh, nations that become warmongering nations there in the Middle East. But God is still faithful to him, even though he's not a believer. Now, the, the story ends with this. It ends with the story of God being faithful to Abraham and another unbeliever. Uh, verse 22, at that time, Abimelech and Philcol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. So as unbelievers, they could see that Abraham's God was with him in everything that he did, and they saw the faithfulness of God to him, and so they wanted to be connected to Abraham. So look at this. Now therefore swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you deal with me in the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. So this great king comes to Abraham and he says, look, I want to make a treaty with you because it's clear that your God is with you and that your God is powerful. You see, Abraham's inconsistent faith was still a platform from which God could show his glory. And this glory came to this unbelieving king of the Philistines, a, a nation that worshiped other false gods. And this person said, I want to be connected to you. Uh, this is the way in which believers can function within the unbelieving society to walk with God faithfully, let God's blessing come upon you and be a blessing to those who are around you so that even those who don't believe 
are won over. They see our good works and they glorify our Father in heaven, as Jesus had said. So uh, there was this conflict that had happened over a certain well where Abimelech's men, the king Abimelech's men, had taken a well that belonged to Abraham's family. And, and wells at that time, water, was very important. And so he brings this up to the king and says, the king says, I will take care of it. I didn't even know about that. You and I are going to be connected. And he, he then gives him a, a, a bunch of lambs and, and uh, you know, livestock as a sign that they now have a treaty. And what, what that leads to is that Abraham can now settle in the land of the Philistines and build his family without war. He can finally live in peace because he had, he had come up with a treaty with this great king. Now, here's the thing. That's God's faithfulness to Abraham. And also God's faithfulness to Abraham is now becoming a blessing to unbelieving people who worship other gods. In other words, Abraham had influence. He didn't try to control everything. He had influence because of his faith in God, and God continued to bless him. You see, God is faithful to Abraham even when he is faithful. This is why we can rejoice. This is why we can cheer up. This is why we can laugh. Because even as we're stumbling through life, God is with us. And our imperfect faith, just like Abraham's imperfect faith, can actually become a platform for which unbelievers in this world can see God. It's not our perfection and our self-righteousness. It's not all of that that they look at and they go, wow, look at these great people. But instead, it's like these are people that believe in this God and they're broken just like us. And this God continues to bless and bless and bless. So look at verse 33. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in this area, which would have been very uh, filled with wars and they would have been subject to attacks, but now they have a treaty with this great king and so they could live in peace. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. I love that, the everlasting God. He knows that God has been with him. He knows he hasn't always been faithful, but he's learning to trust. And he's learning to trust through his failures. This is how we learn to trust. We learn to trust through our failures. It's not our successes that teach us. It's our failures that teach us. Because in our failures, we find that God loves us, not because of what we do, but because of what He has done. So Abraham planted this tree there, which is equivalent in those days to planting a church. This would be a, a place where they would set up an altar. And this would be the gathering place of prayer and worship there at this tree. And they would worship God in the land uh, in peace so that they can raise up the family and strengthen the family. And he calls on the name of the Lord. He says, the everlasting God. You see, that what we see in this passage is that God is a God of his promises and his covenant, and he keeps his promises to us. That his name is Yahweh, the I am, the one who keeps his promises. But also, he's the everlasting God who is in control of history. And he has called us to be part of his history. He's the God outside of history, who makes promises to people in history, who eventually enters into history as a child, a child of miraculous birth, just like Isaac. And just like they laughed with joy at the receiving of Isaac, we laugh with joy at the receiving of Christ our Lord as he comes into this world. 
They look forward to the coming of the Savior with a new lens because they have seen the tangible promise fulfilled with Isaac. So that means that Jesus will come too. The covenant God is everlasting and faithful to his people. And because he is everlasting, he can always be faithful to us. And because he is everlasting, he is not swerved by our unfaithfulness. He is committed to us to save us, to love us, and to bring us home. Cheer up. God is faithful, even when we are faithful, faithless. Let's pray. Holy Father, uh, you're so good to us. May we rejoice knowing that you are the one who fulfills it all. And that we don't have to worry, that we can just walk with you, we can stumble, we can mess up, knowing that you will never leave us or forsake us. We pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Grace and peace.